Welcome to another episode of On the Highway. I'm your host, Megan Anderson, and each week we bring you an expert in the mortgage and real estate realm. You can learn how to navigate the housing and real estate highway to take your business to the next level. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's get driving. And today's guest is a returning favorite. She is the founder and managing partner of Fair Lead Strategies, an independent research firm and investment advisor focused on technical analysis. She's also the portfolio manager for the Fairly Tactical Sector, EFT TAC, and sits on the board of directors for Cary Street Partners. She spent more than 20 years on Wall Street providing technical research and advice to institutional investors, working with BTIG, MKM Partners, Morgan Stanley, and Wit Soundview. You've seen her on CNBC, and today she has some good news regarding rates. So without further ado, join me in welcoming Katie Stockton. Hey, Katie. It's so hey, good to Barry. have you. Thanks, Megan. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always great to be with you, Katie. It really is. It's been, it's been too long, actually. Um, and I'm so glad that uh, when we last chatted, you were feeling pretty good about mortgage rates. So this is something that's on everybody's mind that's watching this. So um, why don't we just start right there and let's, let's talk about uh, long rates and where you think they're headed in um, some of your views on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we obviously saw a secular shift a couple of years ago, and that's the bad news. Um, but the good news is now we have, after a very strong up move, we have a very significant loss of intermediate term upside moment, uh, momentum. And that, to me, is meaningful, not just here for the near term, but potentially for the coming months. We also have, in certain benchmarks, areas of uh, fixed income, some counter-trend indications that are even more than just you know intermediate term in nature. They're more long-term. So that gives us some, I guess, hope is what I would call it, uh, that this shift could be lasting. Our, our indicators don't tend to have much, um, I'd say, value past 12 months or so, but we'll take what we can get. And um, the counter-trend indications are widespread enough that they certainly have had us paying attention. We started talking about them last month because in... TLT, you know, a treasury bond ETF had on the downside a counter trend buy signal from something called the DeMarc indicators. There's a guy named Tom DeMarc, and he's created a suite of indicators, as you know, Barry, that are very good at identifying inflection points. And there is a potential inflection point based on one of his very popular and timely models on the buy side for TLT, the likes of which we hadn't seen since the sell signal in April of 2020, right? So that really has us paying attention. So while we do want to defer to that secular shift higher in rates longer term, we feel that this may be in 2024 and also near term, a counter trend move that has some staying power. I mean, think about it on the way down in the secular downtrend, we had counter trend moves on the upside that lasted a year, two years, even more. And so we are hoping and, and uh, have indications of that this time around. Well, let's be specific on that because uh, we, we're, we're we're looking at different time frames. I know you want to stick to the next twelve months. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you you know our, our mutual friend Rick Santelli. He was on Fast Money a few weeks back, and he used some form of technical analysis to say that he thinks that 
the 10 year treasury will be at 13, 13, one, 3% wow. <laughs> um, in, in a couple of years. So uh, he was using technical analysis for that. I, I wasn't really in agreement with him, but, um, but where do you think that we could be on the 10 year, if you were to give some targets over the, over the short term and then the long term, I happened to catch you on CNBC saying that you, you may think that after this move lower, there could be a move higher that retests the 5% as well. Yeah, eventually, I think we do trust that the secular uptrend will resume. If I can, Barry, I'm going to share my screen. Yes, you should be able to. And uh, you'll see the context for the levels that we're focused on. From a technical perspective, it is really all about levels. Um, you know, we key off of important support and resistance. I'll just make this bigger here. So if you can see on this 10-year treasury yield chart, this is the secular downtrend bound, boundaried by the gray lines that, of course, was reversed. So that's our secular shift, if you will. You can see it in the slope of the 12-month moving average for one. And yet, look at this momentum. Hopefully, you can see my cursor. Look at the momentum, how it's kind of fallen off a bit uh, just over the past few months. And you wouldn't really see that um, in actually the trend, but it, it certainly has has happened behind the scenes. And it's those kind of divergences that tend to be meaningful on the charts, especially when you have either a long-term overbought or oversold condition to enhance what you're seeing. So that steep nature of the uptrend in rates from the 2020 lows, we think will moderate itself through a corrective phase that is prolonged. And that's what we're focused on here now. We think it's where we can have the most conviction is over that 12 month time frame, after which we'll have to revisit these same indicators and levels and, and try to understand what the next step might be. But here you can see the long-term resistance that we're focused on. And it's around five and a quarter. I don't know, Barry, if last time we we talked in this forum that we had that on our radar, but it's been on our radar forever. And I remember people just thought we were absolutely crazy. Um, I don't think you were one of them, but it was it was something that just seemed so far away. And now, of course, you know, having reached about five percent, um, it doesn't seem so unrealistic. So eventually, we expect to see them back up around that resistance level. But we don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. And it's important to be there for these cycles, uh, both on the upside and downside, in terms of your positioning and in terms of your outlook. So we think importantly, we'd be focusing on the cycle that we think has just launched itself on the downside. So you could can you go see back, could you go could you go back to that? I just want to talk to you about that because I think it's meaningful. So for everybody's benefit here, we're looking at the yield, right? So this is the rate on the 10-year treasury. And I see that long-term resistance. That was not something we had discussed uh, the last time. But what I wanted us to maybe have you comment on is a couple of things. So one, if we stay with the top chart and we were to look at the near-term support, which it looks like we're, we're on, it looks like it's kind of matching the highs that we had seen in early 2023, right? So the, or, or late 22, it's hard to tell exactly where uh, where that 10-year treasury was near current levels, around four and a quarter-ish. So if we break underneath that, would that suggest to you that they, we could test in the range of three and a quarter, which is the low that we had seen right before the up move? So yeah, you know, I think here, let me let me zoom in on the monthly, I'm sorry, in the weekly chart. 
you can see here that um, with the momentum having weakened, we are back below that support level. So zoomed in here, you can see that it is from 2022 and the level is about 434. So we always make sure that breakdowns, breakouts also are confirmed. And by that, we mean a couple of weekly closes below or above. So this is an unofficial breakdown as of yet, but it seems likely when you look at the indicators that are shown here, for example, the stochastics still are not oversold. You see the significant loss of momentum, really the first momentum shift that we've seen in, in many months. So we, we would expect this breakdown, whether it happens in the next week or two, we don't know, but um, ultimately to be confirmed. And then the way we try to understand the next downside objective, and this doesn't mean it's the end all for the corrective phase, but the ne next objective would be this, which is, a, and I know you love the Fibonacci's, it's mm -hmm. th at the 61.8% retracement of this uptrend. And we have it around 392. And that is based on just that peak and trough that you can see referenced there. So 392 would become the initial objective on the downside. Our secondary support level, it's not as low as three and a quarter. Uh, so, so three and a quarter seems a little bit, um, you know, sort of out of line with this cloud model, which shows the secular uptrend that's asserted itself. But you can see, depending on where uh, you're looking or when you're looking, really, it's as low as I, I'd say about 340. Um, but it does move higher over time throughout sort of the middle at this point of 2024. So that's something that we would ultimately focus on if we see these levels taken out. Okay. So I, I got you. And when we were looking at that very big chart, it was hard to you know guess at where it was. It was just kind of eyeballing it. So yeah. So I, I could see now it's easier to see around 340 is where that cloud support comes in. Um, or you know, roughly around 350, the cloud starts to take place. I don't know, somewhere between the 340, 360 range, right? That's right. So yeah, and it just depends when we kind of have the the yields coming into that level. So that's what's defining the uptrend back to 2020. Below that, well, then that's a real that that would be more uh, significant in terms of not just necessarily a cyclical corrective phase, but something that would even be more uh, sustainable. We don't have any way to know, of course, we're just trying to talk in sort of probabilities here, right? We're trying to respect trend reversals and momentum when we see it shift. Yeah, so for the short term, as long as we don't get something that uh, throws a wrench in things, uh, you know, if, if inflation reports and we get a big one tomorrow, continue to be cooperative, if the job numbers continue to show some signs of we and we and we think that you're going to get a four on the unemployment rate um, when we get that jobs number next week, so we think that that should should add to this uh, to this downside move. Right, right, and you can see. I mean, it's really pronounced. This is the daily chart, really, as of just now, and you can see how it's come into that support level. You can see it zoomed in on the secondary support. We do have well, we don't have the intermediate term oversold. There is a short term oversold, so our Research has talked about yields maybe stabilizing, and we're talking about for a few days, not necessarily a few weeks. So perhaps aligning with the economic data that's due this week, that could instill some stabilization, especially because of this down move that preceded it. Uh, but we would view that as temporary, not something that's likely to uh, persist beyond the very near term. Notice also the cloud model. So this is a Chimoku cloud. Above the cloud, that's where you're in an uptrend and it's providing support. But you can see that it has just recently broken down below that support level, which means that the cloud has gone from being support 
the meaning this intermediate term uptrend is now reversed and now the cloud becomes resistance going forward. So as much as we had that five and a quarter on our radar, now we have a couple of interim resistance levels. So let's say we did see some bounce off of the economic data and yields. Well, the first hurdle you can see is really not that far gone. Uh, it's about, I want to say, 456 is, is where that bottom boundary of the daily cloud would be. So that would be the first kind of proof point on the upside. And have you found that the 10-year reacts very well to the cloud models? I'm just eyeballing it here. Um, it, it seems like at times it respects it, but at times it, it kind of does its own thing. Yeah, so when, when anything is range-bound, you, you tend to ignore the cloud. So I would argue that this was kind of your range-bound phase. Mm -hmm. And then once you see it a trend it asserted, uh, like it is more so, of course, on a long-term basis, that's two-year yields, uh, then the cloud tends to be something to respect. And, and the hard part, of course, is trying to understand whether it's a range-bound environment or a trending environment. So right now, we, we feel like we've gone from one trend to now potentially another trend. But there's always the risk that we're actually entering a trading range, which seems to be a bit of a consensus view right now. I don't know if you're hearing the same thing. Um, we we don't terribly disagree. We feel like even if you know yields remain somewhat firm, that they have a bit of a ceiling uh, because of the resistance levels and just because of the loss of intermediate term momentum. And also, I'd say importantly, for you know, sort of towards the middle of next year, this momentum divergence is going to uh, be something that we think keeps sort of a ceiling on it and prevents that move back up to five for now. Yeah, I, I we we're we're in agreement with you. The things that we're hoping that you know that will cause technicals to behave more in our favor are the fundamentals. You know, improving inflation, which we think, as well as the Fed um, now turning its attention towards the next move being a cut. When does that cut happen? And then the big one for us would be, when do they dry up the supply on the market by stopping quantitative tightening? So those are all factors that, you know, that will, I, I think those will, will be the most key of the most key elements in how rates behave in 2024. Uh, but within that, um, it looks like shorter term, the momentum is is to the downside in yield, um, but longer term, I think what you're showing here is, uh, if in the absence of the Fed doing something or inflation um, cooperating, that there's a chance you could see those yields back up towards that five percent level. Would that be would that be a reasonable summary? Yeah, I mean that would be, would be now secondary resistance. So if we were to see a rebound and it was it was not taking issue with that cloud-based overhang, which is actually pretty thick because where, where you see a thicker cloud, that's harder to get through. But when it thins out as here in January, then it, it technically would be easier to get through if we're in this kind of yields rallying mode. Um, so, but the evidence right now, you saw the momentum faltering on both the monthly and also the weekly chart, and now, of course, to the downside on the, on the daily. So across the board, across timeframes, we have indications that at least a corrective kind of like sideways to lower phase should keep hold for even a few months. And then that signal that I mentioned uh, from TLT, you can see here, we've highlighted in green and red. Uh, this is the counter trend sell signal from that model we discussed. And here's the counter trend buy signal. 
And you can see, of course, that the sort of mirror image of that MACD on the monthly showing the loss of downside momentum in treasury bonds as they've come lower. So on this last down leg, as severe as it was, we actually saw less downside momentum. And that creates a backdrop from which they can, you know, at least stabilize and stabilize for uh, some duration. Uh, the indication from this signal is about nine months. Um, so that would put us out, of course, close to Q3, the end of Q3 next year. So that would that would mean that the bias, according to this indicator, is for an improvement over the next nine months. That's right. So improvement for fixed income really broadly. We had in our Here's the MBB ETF, which we can come back to, but we highlighted this today in our research, HYG, the high yield ETF. And notice that it's just gotten through some resistance based in the cloud model on its weekly chart. And that tends to be something that, that solidifies a reversal in our work. We've already had what we feel has been sort of a basing phase in high yield. And you can see the breakout there is not insignificant and that, that momentum alongside it. It doesn't necessarily mean we'll have outperformance versus equities, um, but it is somewhat intriguing, I'd say, when you're seeing these catalysts arise after you know, more than a year of really no catalyst whatsoever. So we're, we're intrigued by that too. So it looks like October is the month where we're starting to see some that that the, the trend turned, you know? Yeah, definitely a sentiment shift. And, you know, as a technician sentiment, it, it really is key, right? We've seen sentiment shift to a very strong degree in equities as well. We've gone from uh, an environment where there really was no breath whatsoever to something that, you know, it looks a little bit better. Uh, but the market, uh, you know, for equities, it's at a proving ground itself. We think that if yields continue to kind of flounder, uh, at best, then that should be a tailwind for equities. And we have the S&P 500 right now. Before you do, can we look at MBB just for a minute? Oh, just yeah, definitely. Have that up. So we'll we'll take a look at mortgage uh, ETFs. Yeah, so this is the, yeah, the MBB ETF, which is obviously just one benchmark. But you can see this is, again, this divergence, right, where we have as price made a lower low, you see how the momentum gauges made a higher low, and it's really very decisive. And then we saw as many of these types of um, ETFs came down, we saw the DeMarc indicators flash counter trend signals. So this wouldn't be the same level of a signal that we just looked at on TLT, but it's on the weekly chart and it would support another, I'd say, month or so of upside for MBB. Now, so, meaning so it's just so everybody knows, everybody knows upside in price. So better pricing. Better price. Better so pricing, exactly right, as yields come in further. So it actually bodes well into year end for pricing. Um, and, and we still would probably have to look at it as a counter trend move per MBB. But you saw already um, some other fixed income gauges turn the corner. And, and with MBB, you can see the cloud that's acting as a resistance gauge. But it's got a good deal of room to that level still. And, and it's not that, that thick either. Mm -mm, that's a good point, right? So it's not that thick in the same way that it was back in here. So it's a pretty intriguing setup. I mean, you wouldn't want your entire portfolio, right, to look like a turnaround like this. And that's why we do, uh, you know, say say it's supplementary to the, any kind of positions that are long-term uptrends, which tend to be higher probability. Um, but we are encouraged by the action as a turnaround. Yeah, Bill Ackman and other short positions closed on, on uh on the long end of the market, which obviously that's encouraging too.
Um, can you just explain a little bit for everyone? You know, I understand the exhaustion that you see in the DeMarc indicator, but, but maybe talk about that a little bit and then why it's so important when you see the momentum indicator not respond in the same to the same degree of the, as the exhaustion. So you usually see them kind of more in sync with each other, but this is kind of showing some underlying strength here, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So the, when you see the um, 13s, that's your DeMarc signal. The last one was here on the buy side for MVB and there it's it, it's a little convoluted i'd say the construction but they're mathematically based on price and they're running these counts of price and the, the i guess um it's supposing that as it continually goes lower it's getting more and more oversold eventually to the point where it's just overdone on the downside so that's what it's trying to measure trend exhaustion if you will and then when you see i i don't know if you can see this we might have to zoom in a little bit there's a, a nice reversal bar here uh, do you see how it had a strong close right at um, that week so when you see those kind of reversal bars we had one right here as well where you had a pretty wide intro week move from the high to the low but then a very strong close relative to that high-low spread, that tends to be a great sort of reversal indication, albeit just one bar that we're referencing. And, and uh, for those of you that follow the candlestick charts, my guess is that was some kind of candlestick um, pattern. And uh, with that, when you have it affirmed by the DeMarc indicators and then also affirmed with a lag, because lags are always inherent to moving average base gauges like this MACD, but once you have that MACD buy signal to affirm the turnaround, that's where it uh, you get more conviction in it. We always like waiting for uh, momentum shifts rather than taking the signals for face value. That's why we're still on TLT for one. We don't really have that momentum shift on the long, long-term basis yet. So we're still treading somewhat cautiously, I would say. But as soon as we start to see those monthly MACDs also turn, well, then I think then we can feel like it has more longevity to it. And I know someone just, I, I happen to see a, a question come in about it, but we, we've commented on it. And I wanted you to see if there's anything, you know, the mortgage-backed securities severely underperforming treasuries and uh, the historical spreads have been closer to one and three quarters, 2% in yield where mortgage-backed securities are a premium in yield compared to treasuries because of you know slightly more risk involved. <laughs> However, those spreads have blown out to 3%, which is, you know, which is really something that is an unusual event. And, you know, a lot of times when you have a spread increase like that, it's because of potentially credit quality. We think a lot of that is because you've had servicing values get removed um, because of the likelihood that these loans will be refinanced quickly and they wouldn't have any servicing value. So that there's, there's some of that that's getting sucked out of there. But what would you perhaps want to comment, if anything, as to the blowout in spreads that we've seen between treasuries and the, the um, mortgage-backed security market? Well, I mean, I, I think it's pretty meaningful what we have seen, but there is a point, and we don't really track it that closely, so I can't say I know what the DeMarc indicators look like or, or anything else on the spreads, uh, but we would think it would get overdone at a certain point, right? So, and I, I would imagine with sentiment having shifted already and looking at ratios of um we, we track like HYG versus LQD as one example. Uh, looking at those ratios, they are in or entering sort of a corrective mode. So it would make sense to us to see that a little bit of, of I guess, compression there. Uh, what we have, 
what we have noticed is that, um, you know, it's almost like this is wild. So I, I went back to the HYG chart, pull it up next to ARC K. So we we see um, it's interesting because ARC K has a very similar setup, and we know ARC K is like a high growth equity ETF, and it had been under pressure just like HYG for nearly two years. And this and is high entered, high yield here. This is high yield, yeah. So HYG. And then went sideways. RK did pretty much the same thing. So, so what we're seeing is like a risk on shift in both fixed income and also equities. And I think that that's really um, somewhat meaningful in terms of ha- the, the implications for market sentiment. So, there uh, folks are right now, at least, we'll see if it's sustainable. And this breakout would suggest it is that they're they're rewarding uh, these sort of higher risk but higher potential reward types of positions. It's interesting that they would do that because if uh, you know if if, if indeed the the economic picture were viewed to be a little bit softer than high yield would 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 have a you know in 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 yield a wider spread right in price a narrower spread so what you're looking at here is you're looking at obviously price so the price is 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 uh is improving so the spread's narrowing uh because i guess people are feeling better about financial conditions and that's right and here's saying, just by comparison here's that arc k chart do you see the similarity there? It's really pretty fascinating where it's been range bound for such a long time. And that last retest, if we were to pull up the MACD, you'd see a positive divergence there too. And for uh, everybody, but- this is this is Kathy Wood's uh, mutual mm-hmm. mutual fund, which is uh, or ETF, which is something that um, uh, is is viewed as uh, very aggressive. So uh, this would be a very much a risk on type of. Uh, um, of investment. So you have to feel pretty, it got really hammered in 2022, I believe the second mm-hmm. half of 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it will get rewarded if people start to feel better about. Yeah. And you know. So I, it's not a decisive turnaround in relative terms yet, but you can just see this month, the shift in relative performance. This is the ARC KETF versus the S&P 500. So we're intrigued by that. And I, I think where you're going to see more of the same would be if the S&P can get through that 4,600 resistance level, because that is, um, it's a key threshold. And I think it's where the sentiment shift maybe starts to benefit more than just the mega cap complex. You know, people get a little bit more comfortable, uh, you know, moving down the market cap spectrum. I mean, we've had really very uh, significant underperformance from small caps for one. And then also maybe more interest in value over growth, not to say that growth will um, not participate, but uh, value, which you can, of course, find in financials and in healthcare, perhaps sectors that really haven't contributed much at all to this cyclical uptrend that we have. If we see the breakout from the S&P, that could instill rotation that adds to kind of the sustainability and that 4,600 level, it's been tested, I think three or four times. So it's really an important threshold. So let's talk a little bit about, um, let's talk a little bit about the equity market. And uh, I know what you just mentioned on the S&P 4,600, there's some some analysts now coming out saying that they see 5,000 on the horizon. Um, Where do you think the equity market's headed from here from a technical perspective? 
So it's a proving ground. So we we've been bullish recently, and uh, we you know we believe that this is a cyclical uptrend that's resumed. But now here's our proof point in terms of that forty six hundred level. You can see it um, tested multiple times, and it would be a natural place, honestly, for the market to fail. Uh, the market is not without signs of long term upside exhaustion, uh, based on the S and P five hundred. In fact, if you look at this monthly chart you'll see sort of a wide trading range. And then within that range, we had uh, an overbought indication from DeMarc. We had a downturn. However, if you pull up a chart of Microsoft as a great example, and Microsoft right now, I think it's the largest constituent of the S&P 500, we've seen breakouts. So I think there's a lot of names and they aren't limited to technology that are setting a really good example for a breakout. And then all of a sudden, the monthly gauges are going to look a lot better. You'll have an upturn here and here. So we think there's somewhat high probability of an S&P 500 breakout, which would dictate more than just a short-term bullish bias, which we've had, but a move from sort of the neutral long-term range to something that's got more sustainability to it. And I think the the key towards that is really that consolidation that we're talking about in yields, because yields have, have been the greatest sort of impact on market sentiment. Maybe that changes in 2024 or changes when people feel better um, sort of about where things are landing. Um, but but for now, it's still really the biggest influence on sentiment, in our opinion. Now, to not to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but if we do see the S&P meet resistance and fail there, well, then we're kind of just back to more of the same, which is within this long-term trading range that you see. Um, so, and it would kind of turn our attention back to support, you know, keep it kind of within this range that you can also see on an intermediate term basis. There's uh, some support around 4,365. That's a short-term level. Uh, but the more important support, which I think would ultimately be retested if we can't break out, is around 4180. So it's really everything kind of hinges right now in my work, and this isn't always the case, on whether we can see that resistance surmounted. I don't think that this um, high from uh, either the, the peak around 4819, I don't think that's a big hurdle for it. I think if we clear the 4600, that that will be really quite easy to surmount. We, we didn't see much, um, you know, sort of resistance at that that level. So I think that there's really sort of good hope for the market in that regard. Yeah, it seems it seems like an optimistic outlook um, for, for the for the equity market. Um, because yeah, once once you approach that new high, it seems like there's a this gravitational pull to get there and to get over 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 that high. And then of course, there could be some consolidation. But you know, this is an interesting chart, Katie. And if, if, if we could just go back to it just for a second, I wanted to yeah, I wanted to point out something that um, that I think is just very interesting. If you start on the left-hand side of the chart, you can see that low. Once the cloud um, resistance was broken, obviously there's other factors there, but look at the long period of time of uh, uh, of, of increase, of, of, of move higher. And then once that cloud was tested, once we were well above it, uh, you know, a little bit more to the right there, you could see we test the cloud there, it moves back up. But once the cloud's broken, that period of time, that's a long period of time there, right? That's like a year that we're underneath the cloud, right? And, and that uh, even took us through May of this year. So th this was a pretty prolonged, I'd say, bear market cycle based on the cloud. Yeah, but once you break above the cloud, then so it seems like the way the S&P responds to the cloud, it's not, it's not these fleeting moves. Once you clear it or you get underneath it, that's going to dictate the pace of where things are for a bit, huh? 
Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, especially on the weekly bar chart. If we're talking about a daily bar chart, well, maybe there's more noise to that cloud. I mean, we're talking about weeks, not months. But with a weekly bar chart, it, it tends to give an indication for months, maybe not years, but months. And it is telling you not only that we had a breakout earlier this year that we talked about in our research in May, uh, but also now that the cyclical trend is still intact, just based on the slope of that cloud. So you can see moving forward, it gives us kind of visual indication of the prevailing trend. And we always wanna keep that on our side. Now we, on the monthly chart that I have over here, you can see how the cloud is flat. So it's not really helping us that much right now, but you see the upper boundary rises. So if anything, it's neutral to positive on the monthly cloud. I wanna pull up just because I referred to it, the chart of Microsoft to show what the potential is. We're, we're seeing a lot of what we call cup and handle formations. It's kind of a silly name, but it's just designed to tell you the shape of something. Um, so we have on Microsoft, if you look at this as kind of the cup and here's the handle and the pattern is completed when you get the breakout. So this is a long-term uh, view of Microsoft. You can see how now we have a bullish crossover here in the stochastics. You can see how this MACD, look at the histogram, how it's now rising again. So this, uh, we hope, sets a good example for uh, the S&P 500 because if it became more broad-based, well, that would be uh, a really very bullish development. And I, I just think about the nature of new all-time highs for any security. I mean, it means that the chart has no more resistance. It is hard to come at a, a long-term objective at times, uh, but we can use some of these breakouts to understand what the upside potential might be. We don't have the ability to do that yet for the S&P 500 because we don't have a breakout. But if we were to take a significant low for Microsoft for one, you could see as an example, a measured move projection goes to about 430. Um, and imagine if we saw 430 from Microsoft, what that would mean for the major indices. Yeah, tech, technology has led the stock market. So uh, yeah, totally agree. That's a, that's a really good breakdown of Microsoft, uh, obviously bullish. And, and cup and pattern, cup and handle patterns uh, when completed, tend to be pretty reliably reliable in a bullish sense. So, yeah, I, I would say so, especially over the time frame, you know, of which you're evaluating it. Right now, short term, we we are long uh, Microsoft in our research, um, but there are some signs of short term exhaustion that probably mean we'll have an opportunity to reduce exposure here pretty soon and then revisit it into a pullback. So we will take that kind of long term takeaway and then revisit, um, you know, the shorter term work to for more like market timing purposes, but it's those monthly charts that really set the tone. Megan, um, you've been kind of probably monitoring the questions that come in as Katie and I have been going, um, looking at these charts. Uh, is there anything that uh, that we can we can ask Katie that uh, that that those that are, are uh, watching, our subscribers are looking at um, that they want answered, maybe a specific chart to pull up? Yeah, one chart um, that we're getting asked about is PLTR. Volunteer. Volunteer, that's right. So we do, of course, we always let the top-down uh, views kind of trickle into our evaluation of any individual stock. So when we're putting out ideas, which we do in a couple of different uh, forums, we have a Substack newsletter. We also have long, short ideas in our weekly report that was published, in fact, this morning. Um, but we always try to find themes and things that are working. One of those themes is sort of what we saw with, with HYG with a, a base breakout um, or also ARC-K. 
Um, so here's the Palantir long-term chart. This is limited history on the monthly, of course, but you can see the rounded base that seems to have unfolded. See also that stochastic upturn. It's it's going to be solidified at the end of the month. That This is called, I call it a bullish stochastic pop. It's when it, it had a downturn, looks sort of ominous, but recovered quickly enough to kind of whipsaw that indicator. And then, of course, momentum looks quite good long-term. So that's our bullish long-term context for Palantir, certainly helped by the recent short-term action. So November, as much as it's been a short-term move, it has contributed to improvement in the long-term indicators. You can see on Palantir also that we have a uh, sort of pending breakout above some resistance in here. I would probably put it around this 1940 level and it's trying to get through it. It looks like it should get through it ultimately. And then we probably focus in on this late 2021 high as next resistance. So I think it's intriguing and there's no sell signals. I mean, we are kind of surprised by the lack of sell signals. And by that, we mean uh, the DeMarc indicators primarily on, on the daily charts. We're just not seeing a whole lot of them yet. Uh, which tells us that perhaps there's more upside near term. That's great. So another question we got is, what do you think of Pennant Park and Aries Capital for dividend yields? Is the yield safe? You know, that's really more of a, I would say, fundamental question. Um, you know, as a technician here, I'm looking at the Pennant Park here. Is that the PNNT, I'm, I'm assuming? Pennant Park. <laughs> Um, so it, it's really more of a fundamental question. We don't have any um, sort of window into the company's financials by looking at the chart, of course. Uh, but what we have certainly seen, and uh, you know, you've seen it in the relative strength behind, I'd say, REITs. And I, I don't know if this is a REIT. I'm making the assumption that it is, but we've definitely seen some what I, I'm going to call signs of life in relative terms in the space that we're intrigued by. Um, you would think they'd become relatively more attractive just because of their yield, right, as, as Treasury yields come in a bit. Um, the chart itself looks more neutral. Um, I would say here's the monthly. You can see just kind of middling in here, uh, but it does have very good support. The momentum is to the upside. Uh, so it kind of lacks a catalyst is what I would say from a technical perspective. But if you're trading it for its yield, um, the yield here says 13%. Um, so that that certainly has people paying attention, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, a question that I have, you know, we're coming into the new year here and the market is definitely shifting, creating, you know, opportunities. And, you know, we want to know what are some of your top opportunities that you feel there is going to be in 2024? Yeah. I mean, we think in terms of like more, um, technical catalyst, right? So the opportunity that we think is probably among the most exciting, and maybe not for everyone, are, you know, it's the base breakouts. Um, we just highlighted a stock, and this wouldn't necessarily be a top stock for 2024 or anything of that nature. We don't really put out like a, um, a list like that. Uh, but we're looking for stocks that have positive catalysts in the form of these long-term basing phase uh, sort of completions. And um, it, the reason that intrigues us is because it's a turnaround play. And the turnaround is like the first move off of these lows. You see breakout above the cloud, correction into the lower boundary, and then uh, a rebound. When you see these basing phases completed, um, I think it, 
it might have been John Roke, who is a, a well-known technician, who said the wider in base, the higher in space or something like this. Um, but everybody's always on the search for these big basing phases. And often the market's not lending itself very well to it. But right now it really is. So we're interested in stocks like this that have base breakouts. They're more concentrated. A DPZ is a little bit different because it, it leans a bit more defensive, I would say, than average. We are seeing it more in the high growth arena. Um, so we're intrigued by these setups as kind of longer term entries, but we still kind of go back in our mind to having the most sort of the overweight exposure to the leading sectors of the market. So we want to have exposure to technology, communication services, consumer discretionary, and I'll show you why in part. The, the relative strength there, this is our trustee RRG or relative rotation graph. Notice technology, discretionary, and communications on the six-month view of normalized relative strength. They're the only sectors that are pointing higher. And this is where the breath has been weak, of course, elsewhere. So we still want to have exposure to these sectors as long as they're working from a long-term momentum and relative strength uh, sort of posture. They're, they might not be as exciting until you have a catalyst like we saw in Microsoft, um, but, but generally speaking, you're well served by staying with the positions that are in long-term uptrends. So I know, Megan, I didn't give you sort of a, a short list of, of top, you know, sort of favorite charts, but I, I think that that's kind of where our head is when we think about how to be, uh, I guess, positioned for at least the first few months of 2024. Now, you mentioned technology. I'm just curious your thoughts on AI and getting involved in AI in this regard. Well, listen, I mean, there, there's uh, NVIDIA has been just the, the stalwart outperformer, as we know, uh, this year. And from what I understand is that it's for a good reason, fundamentally, perhaps when it pertains to AI. Um, the chart, I think, is worth evaluating. And, and we believe like there's opportunities um, that are perhaps not as direct plays on AI that are probably intriguing in the high growth segment, you know, those, those base breakouts, if you will. But if we see NVIDIA, and this was would be likely if we see the S&P through that 4,600 level, if we see NVIDIA push out of this consolidation, so here's your strong up move, here's a few bars of consolidation on the monthly chart, that would be a pretty big deal because it would suggest that this was just a pause to refresh this uptrend. Doesn't mean it unfolds with the same level of explosiveness, uh, but I think we have with resistance so close by on NVIDIA, it's around, I think, 500 to 502. Uh, with a, a short-term breakout, we'd have a catalyst to kind of uh, rebuild exposure to what has been criticized as sort of an overextended, overvalued name. Um, you know, there, there's times at which momentum just prevails. And I think if we see a breakout above these highs from NVIDIA, that we'd have another uplake in store for it. Yeah, their earnings have been off the charts. Any other questions, Megan, you want to adjust? Um, we got asked about SPHR, Spirit Entertainment. Okay, let's see if we can find it here. Slowly but surely, it's pulling up here. Um, the first thing we can see is, is the 200-day moving average has made a, a pretty meaningful shift. So you can see on this purple line here uh, that it has turned the corner 
uh, from sort of a longer term trend following perspective. And this is the weekly cloud chart, somewhat limited history back to here, but you can see that we had a big cloud breakout back in here once we got our two closes above. Now it's still sort of in this corrective mode, uh, but I think that with the cloud having reverse, maybe as it comes into kind of this area where the cloud is thicker, it becomes interesting as an entry point just to take advantage or, of, or leverage that turnaround. Another good point on this one is that while the momentum is to the downside right now, intermediate term, notice these moving averages, they have all kind of turned the corner. They're generally pointing higher. So I, I think that's, uh, usually something that you want to have on your side as well. If you see these moving averages shifting in favor of your position, that's usually a good thing. So I'd wait a bit in terms of an, an entering a position, uh, but I don't think we're terribly far away from a, a good sort of high probability entry on this one. The 200 days at 3170, and you can see the cloud once we get out to January is just shy of 31 on the bottom boundary. So I don't think it will be much lower than that kind of 31. 32 area that you'll have to uh, reconsider it. Let's see here. Another question that we have, how much weight do you put into price to earnings ratios in selecting stocks? None. <laughs> we have that luxury. Um, so listen, we, we are strictly like all technicals all the time here, but we're huge believers in the fact that technical analysis as a discipline is complementary. And we think it needs to be taken within context of the fundamentals of the macro, certainly. Uh, I mean, where would we be without knowing where uh, rates are as an example, right? So, so you can't look at anything in a vacuum. So you really need to have that, that context. So while we don't use them ourselves and, and we feel blessed in not having to concern ourselves too much in it, we, we of course encourage folks to always have a, a good sense of the earnings trend because the earnings trends, at the end of the day, they're they're the long-term drivers of performance. Uh, we all know that there are months at a time when that those trends will break up, and that's why we have the charts. Another question that we have is China. You know, a little bit of recovery in that regard. What do you think about things like Alibaba? Yeah, why don't we pull up Baba? Um, so it's been a little disappointing from China. We know it's out of favor. You can just sense it, and uh, even in the media. Um, so, and you're seeing it certainly in the charts. So, I think it's something to sort of respect right now, where we're seeing um, real rotation. Honestly, is in ETFs and benchmarks that are are emerging markets ex China. Um, so here is Baba's chart versus the cloud. You can see it never really confirmed that breakout above. Now it's quite oversold, but I, I wish we had more from Baba in the way of some counter trend uh, signal. Uh, there is a couple of uh, shorter term signals. Um, here's one on the daily chart. You see this 13 buy signal. So it does have an active short term signal. And then also let me pull over the monthly chart. You can see there are some indications that on the monthly chart, here's a 13, uh, that it is somewhat overdone, but it's not really convincing yet. We like to, as mentioned earlier, see also the momentum shift and the momentum is still clearly to the downside here, um, where we're seeing signs of life, not only you know in the emerging markets ex-China, but emerging markets, including China also, 
have some indications that relative strength should improve. And ultimately, we think that'll manifest itself in a, a good rebound for BABA and others. The dollar is helping. We have a, a weakened dollar, and that trend seems to be here to stay for a bit. Katie, yeah, I'm looking at some of the questions, just had a chance to, to do that. So Rick's asking questions about QT and Aaron about the debt issuance. We're going to cover that in detail in our forecast for you guys. But Katie, that's not, as you said earlier, you're mostly looking at the at the technical patterns. So, um, and, then, and then somebody liked our, our song this morning, which I appreciate. Um, uh, let's see. Um, I'm trying to find out. Okay, so so Katie, do, do you want to share maybe a couple of your top picks that you're mostly excited about now? Well, you know what I would actually really love to share, um, because we don't ever have like a running list of favorites. We do have, I'll show you a couple of things. We do but, have- And our... you could also, so you could also put money in Katie's ETF too. We, yes, that that's always our favorite is, is the Fairly Tactical Sector ETF or TACK. And we can certainly talk about that, but um, encourage folks to check it out. There's in our in our weekly report, I'm going to just pull up an example of that from this morning. Uh, you know, we have um, a running list of long short ideas, and and usually the shelf life on these ideas is at least intermediate term. So we are are trying to find positions that have at least several months behind them. And you can see here's our list right now. We have um, I don't know if I can make this bigger. Um, but we have a little of everything. We have a lot of uh, tech and discretionary because those have been working. Uh, today, we added Etsy and Northrop Grumman as positions. And then we'll we'll turn them over when they become either less interesting or, or um, have some countering indication. Uh, but you can see that we have a lot of long ideas. And that's because of the market lending itself well to these ideas. Uh, you know, this could change if we see the S&P 500 falter around 4,600. Uh, but this is like a running list of our sort of favorites within the S&P 500. What we do is supplement it. You saw the DPZ chart uh, on the Substack newsletter that we have. We supplement it with sort of, I'd say not, not necessarily, they're usually outside of the S&P 500 ideas that we find that just kind of fit in with a the theme. Um, so we have a bunch of active ideas as well on Substack on the individual stock level. And then in terms of, you know, sort of long-term sort of long shot positions, you know, we, we like, we like Bitcoin. So we can talk about that too. We That's, have a- That was my next question, Katie. Can we <laughs> talk to, the move up has been pretty, pretty darn impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really like has been. A lot of momentum right so now. So we should look at that, but I, I know, uh, Barry, your audience, just because I have this pulled up and I, I don't want to lose it. Uh, probably cares on mortgage rates. Um, yes. and I, I, <laughs> we published this in our, our weekly report and we never do. Um, but we just thought it was intriguing um, to say that here, this is the monthly 30 year average. Look at how we had this counter trend signal down here from the DeMarc indicators. And then for the first time, we have the countering signals on the upside. And I think that's fascinating and, and certainly encouraging. It's sort of aligned with what we've been talking about and yields. And that because this is a monthly sort of data set, this has implications for nine months. So it would call for nine months of contraction potentially in mortgage rates. And you can see can how that momentum is yeah. falling off. Can I point out something? Let's look at that 13 just to the left of your cursor down to the left there, the 13. That signal there. Now, 
it, it said it was overdone and it should have been overdone. The only reason why you didn't get the move up in rates is because QT persisted longer than it should have. It should have stopped there. But mm -hmm. look at what happened when QT came off. Uh, yeah. Then then it started to behave like the signal would have indicated. The game was rigged. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't move. I know. And, you know, that there's like a sort of metrics on these DeMarc signals. Like if they don't start to work within a certain amount of time, this one, I, I would say in hindsight, you can see worked. But, um, you know, if they don't work within 12 bars and we kind of um, leave it for dead. But I just thought that was a fascinating signal. And, um, you know, anything we pull up, you'll find some interesting sort of inflections that are, are marked by these signals. Bitcoin is, um, you know, finally, it's got a base breakout of its own. So we've talked about a different segments of the market that have breakouts from basing phases. And you can see versus the cloud. And we just recently highlighted this in our report. Here's your breakout. And it's pretty decisive. I mean, the upper boundary acted as resistance and the cloud tends to be really clean for anything related to FX. So like you, you see here, it came down to the lower boundary, held, 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 couldn't get back above the upper boundary. That was information. And that was your sort of bear cycle. Now here it's saying that we're in this bull cycle. We have a, a counter trend indication that's valid for another week or so on the DeMarc work, after which we'd expect an extension higher. So we're focused intermediate term on the next Fibonacci, which is about 42,200 uh, for Bitcoin as a very reasonable objective. You could even make a case, and this would be more of a you know sort of first six months of 24 case, uh, for a test of this Fibonacci retracement, which is closer to 48,500. It's not entirely out of the woods yet on the monthly chart, but there's indications that it's going that direction because see with the rebound, it's still got the cloud overhang, but look at these indicators. They've really improved just month over month. And fundamental with a spot ETF. And also this seems to, this seems to really move alongside the, what the Fed's going to do. You know, when it was thought that the Fed was tightening, Bitcoin didn't do well. When it was thought that maybe the Fed was at the end of its tightening or near in the end, it started to move higher. And now with the next move potentially being lower by the Fed, we think that's the case. It's really taken off. So it's got fundamentals behind it as well as what we see here in the charts. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty impressive move that it's made. And I mean, the, these are very, uh, the monthly MACDs eliminate a lot of noise, but you can see how positive it is. It's the first time that we've got it above the zero mark. And uh, that's intriguing because it should, you know, suggest that there's sustainability here. And we don't want to get caught up in noise in cryptocurrencies, right? We want these meaningful shifts. And it's suggesting that we have something in, in those terms. We've also seen some of the altcoins, uh, you know, the, participate in absolute terms, but garner some relative performance, which is something that tells you that the sentiment in the space has improved too. All right. So I know we've got like five minutes left. Let's try and knock out a couple more questions, Megan. And by the way, I know that some, yes. some people have some, some like, like Chris, you've got a really good question here. Christine's got a really great question. Uh, it's not really something, you know, where I think Katie, if I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speaking for you here, but I think it's, it's not something when we talk about, you know, when the Fed starts cutting rates and, and as they're pointing over, that, that's not more uh, of what I think would would Katie would prefer to to well, apply I'll, on. I'll, I'll ask that same question of of everybody else in the room. You know that that's what I I, I listen to other experts in that field. <laughs> this my field really is is markets related. It's price based, and it's important because you know for us it's it's not even 
the economic data point that we get focused on, it's the reaction to it, right? How does the market receive that data? And that, that's what we concern ourselves with. So, well, so and, go ahead, Megan. Well, as Barry mentioned too, we will cover that on MBS Highways 2024 market update, which we've been working diligently on. Forecast. That. Yeah. Yes, forecast. Um, but, you know, we just got done talking about crypto. And what I want to talk about is the other side that everyone talks about, which is gold. So I'd love to look at that. But before we do, and as you pull that up, you know, Katie was kind enough to offer a 30-day free trial. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put that link in the chat box, everyone. Oh, yeah, you know, it, it's so, Katie, it is so good. Um, it, it really is. It's something everybody should should pay attention to. Look, um, investing is an important part of what you do and having an edge, having Katie do the analysis for you and provide suggestions. It's, it is extremely valuable. So, and, and we love you, Katie, on top of it. So thank, thank you, both of you. It's, um, and we're happy to obviously offer that trial because it, we want to make sure it's suitable. Uh, but we do think there's really good value in a systematic approach when it comes to what you're doing and what we're doing as well. And I think the best way to go about that is to come back to the same tools or methodology and the same charts. So there's no one answer as to what the chart is, right? It, it's more important that you use the same tools. And you'll see that throughout our work. We just have this very sort of clear methodology where it's stochastics and MACDs and moving averages in the cloud. Um, and we're consistent in that. So we we really see the value in consistently covering markets from that perspective. And then ideally, um, as an investor, uh, your audience is is taking that against their fundamental views and macro views. That that would be the kind of perfect world. Um, so with the gold chart, Megan, you see here, this is it's really been very interesting lately because we have this really abrupt intermediate term reversal higher. It's within the context of what is a really wide long term trading range that goes back to 2020. And we're pretty much on the verge of testing this final resistance. We're putting it at 2063 for gold. Uh, breakout needs two weekly closes above that level. And that would be a big deal uh, because, and you see the indicators do actually support it. We th think there's going to be some consolidation first, uh, but that would be a big deal for gold because your targets, I think, if I recall, I last looked around 2,400, above 2,400 for the price of gold with a time horizon of, of months, not years. So I think that's really compelling. I, I What I love about gold, and we hold it in our um, ETF via an ETF itself, uh, the sort of lack of correlation to other markets. I think whenever you can find some diversification uh, that has a, a momentum sort of shift behind it, that, that can be really powerful. So here's Here's the monthly chart of gold. You can see the context there longer term. The cloud does move higher over time. The indicators are pointing higher, ultimately supporting a breakout. We do for gold, and we highlighted this in our note today, have a, a counter trend indication that's short term in nature, however. So for those who are interested in adding to gold, I would say, you know, maybe hold off a couple of weeks and then see if you have a pullback to take advantage of ahead of a potential breakout about that major resistance. Well, I know we're, we're nearing we're nearing time, right, Megan? So yes, Katie, we are, we are so we are so appreciative of your time and everybody that's that's watching and listening, get Katie's newsletter. It's a it's a must read in my opinion, especially if you want to make some investment decisions and have Katie over your shoulder kind of helping you. Um, that's something that we we have always endorsed 
and so many of our subscribers who have taken you up on your newsletter have just nothing but rave reviews. So it's great. It's and, great to hear. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and Katie is part of CMA, of course, and uh, has given her teachings within CMA. So we're, uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you there. So uh, Katie, thank you. Megan, any closing remarks on your end? I just want to say thank you. I learned so much from you too, as does the audience, and we appreciate your time. Yeah, no, same here. Megan, Barry, and, and your whole team have always been good supporters. We appreciate it. And if anybody needs to reach us, it's really easy to hunt us down, but via our website or, or some other way, please reach out. Thanks. Thanks, everybody.